I think it's safe to say that most of us have a complicated relationship with mirrors. Well, that's not entirely accurate because babies squeal with glee when they see themselves in a mirror. Adolescents have an unusual capacity to spend great lengths of time in front of a mirror. For adults, though, mirrors can be a mixed bag. Our relationship with the looking glass seems to grow more contentious with age. Sometimes we catch a glimpse of ourselves in a reflection and are startled by what we see. We think, is that really how I look? I find it fascinating that we can look in a mirror every day, and yet we find it difficult to remember our own image. When we walk away, it's as if the image slips from us. The author of the book of James actually referred to this when he said, be doers of the word. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror, for they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they look like. Now along with James, Paul was getting at this in the letter to the Corinthians. For we look in a mirror dimly, he said. And the word dimly in Greek can also be translated in a riddle. A mirror can play tricks on us. Paul calls each community not to deceive themselves, but to grow up to maturity into full adulthood. He tells the first century community at Corinth, a community full of divisions and infighting, much like our 21st century world, he tells them to know themselves as they are fully known by God, to see themselves as God sees them with all their flaws and beauty marks. Paul says, don't be like Moses with a veil, but take off the veil to see each other revealing the image of God. Paul describes how a veil over our hearts can obscure what we see. Our minds can be made dull, writes Paul, even to the truth that God simply and deeply loves every person without stipulation or exception. So let's use this mirror as a metaphor for our spiritual lives. In many or most religious traditions, the spiritual life is committing to the path of honest self-reflection through the support of divine grace. And we grow into maturity to the extent that we can accept a full image of ourselves as we bring our whole reflection into focus, both light and shadows. We learn to receive what we see. We grow into adulthood. Self-reflection is difficult because we have blind spots. Or we have areas we're unwilling to look at. The Greek word for that blind spot is skatosis, and we each have scotoses, areas in our lives to which we are blind. Now, friends and family can see our blind spots. We are mirrors for each other. When we see traits in others that evoke feelings of anger or irritation or hatred in us, we might be seeing those parts of ourselves reflected back that we want to ignore. It's easy to see the behaviors um, we don't like in others. It's much more difficult to realize that we behave in the same ways. 
There are also blind spots in our communities. We refuse to see the same mean-spirited compulsions in our people that we see and judge in others. And as we all know, we are coming off one of the most contentious presidential elections in history, and all sides are behaving badly. Paul describes the behaviors that oppose the ethic of love. He says envy, boasting, arrogance, rudeness, demanding one's own way, selfish, irritable, and resentful. A MAGA hat or a Biden t-shirt have this in common. They are both worn by imperfect people. More than 150 million people cast a ballot for one or the other presidential candidate. Right now, we cannot pass up this opportunity we've been given to lean into the communal mirror, to look closely at the other half of the voting population. We must look past the divisions drawn by political parties or religions or worldviews or geography in order to see more fully the people behind the votes. We cannot risk making other people into monsters. Friedrich Nietzsche said, beware that when fighting monsters, you yourself do not become a monster. For when you gaze long into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. In other words, we must be vigilant not to demonize people we contend with, or in our self-righteousness, we risk becoming what we despise in them. Our Christian faith begins in humble confession, in the confession that we have faults and failings, that each and every one of us falls short of God's glory. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides, Paul says, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Jesus repeatedly set people free of their sins and healed them. And then he told them to go and sin no more. God doesn't leave us as God found us. As Paul said to the Corinthians, And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Now let me pause here to say that preachers preach what we need to hear. And these words are for me. When we stubbornly refuse to acknowledge the ways we resist God's imperative to love, we project onto others what remains hidden in us. And you're probably thinking, yeah, yeah, but they, the other, are actually literally factually guiltier than me or than my people. The hard news is it doesn't matter. It does not matter what others choose to do. We must love as Christ loved because that is the ethic Christ gave us. 
If we want to understand God more fully and know ourselves more fully, it is only in love and through love that we do so. Father Richard Rohr said this, love is our deepest identity and what we are created in and for. To love someone in God is to love them for their own sake and not for what they do for us. Love is always letting go of fear. The world will always teach us fear. Jesus will always command us to love. And when we seek the spiritual good of another, we at last forget our fears and ourselves." End quote. I'm not suggesting that we seek a bland unity among people. I'm suggesting we build trust in relationships with people who are different from us. I'm suggesting the church be a place where authentic civil discourse is fostered and modeled. Civil discourse that is guided by our values of justice, mercy, kindness, patience, humility. Discourse that is rooted in love, faith, and hope. Where will dis civil discourse happen if not in churches, synagogues, mosques, and temples, the religions that hold the ethic of love as central to their identities? To be fully known is to begin by believing that all of us are made from the same stardust, and together we are capable of shining light into the darkness. We can choose to wonder, to be curious about others who are different from us. We can ask questions of those we fear by putting aside judgment or criticism or blame. How did they arrive at their beliefs? What shapes their practices? We can choose not to ask these questions to be curious, but we must concede the stakes are high. Looking at ourselves closely in the mirror is hard. We can do hard things. To love is hard, but not loving is hard too. Let us choose our hard and pick wisely. Amen.